Brother James, or Pat made, made these and brought them. I follow the rules. I didn't get rid of it. I left it there. <laughs> I didn't touch it. <laughs> Great to see you, brethren. Uh, those on online, those of you who are here tonight, thank you for being here tonight and uh, joining us for the next uh, lesson in our series, Life Enrichment. Uh, let's go to our God in prayer, please. Magnificent and mighty God in heaven, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you. We thank you for all that you've done and for all that you do and for all that you will do. We thank you for Jesus, your great son, who so willingly died on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. Well, God, he died that we might be saved. Help us never to forget, but always to bring glory, honor uh, unto your name. Help us to serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love you with all of our heart mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. These things we pray and thank you for. Please open our minds tonight to understand your word and to grow. In Jesus' name, be thy will. Amen. So Psalm 23, we left off last week, and we were going to look at verses 5 and verse 6. And on another occasion, we'll really deal, we'll dig into Psalm 23. But just kind of tonight, just taking an idea. Uh, from verse 5. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so, uh, verse 5, the idea of preparation, provision, relief, security, and understanding uh, by God. So I want to look at First Kings chapter 19 to see this verse, if you will, in action. And so I'm going to look at the life of Elijah, or should I say, just a phase of his life, for just a moment. Verses 1 through verse 3 of 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to look at Elijah fleeing from Jezebel. Verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now it's interesting, if, if this were a, um, a movie reel and you're watching this film, uh, Jezebel comes out and she says these things, to Elijah, Elijah would have looked back at her and he would have laughed in her face. He would have laughed so hard. I mean, this would have been such a joke uh, because of what just happened in 1 Kings 18. But in 1 Kings 17, uh, remember he prayed and uh, God sent a drought. It hadn't rained for three years. And uh, Obadiah was uh, out there in chapter 18, uh, well, in that particular writing. Uh, he was hiding all the prophets. Jezebel was out killing the prophets, but Elijah uh, reigned as this as this ruler, this great man of God, and he comes out in verse thirty-seven as they're trying to decide, you know, who is God? Who is God? Is 
is uh, is the prophet of Baal God, is the prophet of Asherah God. You have 850 false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and they come out all together and they call on the name of their God and nothing happens. But then Elijah calls on the name of God and God sends down fire and uh, and licks up the dirt and the dust and the rocks and the wood and the sacrifice and the burnt offering and and then verse 37 answer me Elijah's prayer O Lord answer me that this people may know that thou O Lord art God and that thou hast turned their heart back again then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And so here Elijah has just been heroic. He just... I mean, this event is so amazing. And then Jezebel comes along and says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah would have said, in the movie, he would have said, there's no way you can kill me because God is with me. Verse 44, something else happened. It hadn't rained, and all of a sudden it's now going to rain. And uh, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 and verse 44, it came about at the seventh time, that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. So it came about uh, in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and the wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. So you can imagine this, right? The 450 prophets of Baal have been uh, killed by Elijah and, and all the uh, the men who came to God, and, and he was victorious because of the power of God. And Jezebel threatens Elijah's life, and Eli- again, Elijah, went in this movie, laugh in her face, because not only did he do that, then God girded him up, and he was able to run through the mud and through the rain and outrun a horse, right, all the way to Jezreel. And Jezebel says, "If tomorrow this time, if I find you, I'm going to kill you. And we can see that very clearly and say, wow, that was, you know, there's no reason why Elijah should feel anything but victorious. But this is not a movie. This is real life. And as we read the text, we ourselves could look at this and ask, why would Elijah find himself afraid of Jezebel? After all that's just happened, after the confirmation of who is God. Remember, the challenge was, if God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And there was evidence that God is God. And there was this confirmation in the mind of uh, Elijah that God is God and even all of Israel and yet Elijah feared for his life and then he goes into this next bout of loneliness first uh, Kings 19 and verse verse 9 then he came there to a cave and lodged there and behold the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him 
what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the sons of Israel, have forsaken thine covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What? Doesn't really, doesn't really make a lot of sense. After all that just happened, after all that you, all the blessings that we, and he finds himself feeling alone and without God and without, without anyone else. How did he get there? And this is where that understanding of God comes in. I want to look over at Psalm 23, verse 4 and verse 5 again and come right back to this account. But Psalm 23, verse 4 and verse 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. Notice in this verse, we have this, this understanding of God's provision, but God's understanding. Because when I look back at this text and I think about the uh, heroic effort of God, go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, through Elijah, and we can even become blinded sometimes and say, look at the heroic effort, effort of Elijah as he stands before uh, King Ahab so so bold and so brave. In fact, he even accused Ahab and said, you're the reason that all this evil has come upon Israel. And yet, he gets to this point in his life where he feels all alone. And so sometimes, maybe it doesn't really matter what's going on around us. Maybe sometimes what really matters is what's going on in here, right? And that's what it was. Elijah, in his mind, he had this this picture, this image of 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 gloom for for whatever reason. I mean, you know, the reason I get it, you know, because Jezebel has has just um, threatened his life. But you would think that Jezebel would, in his mind, be powerless in the presence of God after seeing what he saw and feeling what he just felt and being a part of what he was just a part of, and yet, no, that's just not the case. He doesn't feel united with God and strengthened by the power of God and going in the strength and the might of God. He, he's, that's not where Elijah is. Look at verse 4, 1 Kings chapter 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. How did he get there? Right. Turn back to numbers for just, how did he, how did he get? So you, you look at the account and sometimes this is what happens, right? When we are we're talking to people that are struggling in, in a, a particular situation in their lives and Sometimes we can look at their situation and because we don't understand, we might say, how did you get there? Or one might say, how did you get that out of this? Or this out of that? How did you get there? We don't always understand. 
people don't always get me, and I don't always get people, and so I won't always know. My faith is sometimes strong by the grace of God, and other times my my, uh, faith is weak. And then someone might say, I can't believe you're struggling with that. And even I might say, I can't believe I'm struggling with this. But life is real. It's not a movie. And as we look at Elijah's life and everything that surrounded um, being fed at the Brook Kidron uh, by, by ravens, by having water flowing through there, God being with him, God speaking to him, the presence of God. I mean, everything was in our minds. We might say, wow, what more could he ask for? But the reality is, Elijah was struggling. Now, Moses is another one um, who struggled. He struggled at a time when you, you'd wonder, you, you'd think, well, well, why is he struggling now? You know, and, and he comes up with the same uh, philosophy, if you will, idea, God, take me home now. I, I don't want to go on. I don't want to be in this place anymore. I don't want to be amongst these people any longer. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 13. Numbers 11 and verse 13. People complain to Moses in verse 13. Moses says, where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if thou art going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in thy sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. God understands. And you know God's answer is never death. You know, as many times the prophets in the Old Testament ask God to take their life. Uh, God never, he never does. Death is never the answer. The actual answer is always get back to work. You know, I get busy, in other words. The same thing we use in philosophy today or in counseling when someone's dealing with depression. I mean, the obvious answer always is, okay, you need to get active. You need to get back to work. Get out there. Go do something. Don't just sit there and wallow. And I know that's the toughest thing to say. And a lot of times it takes a long time to get to that, that point in a trusting relationship in, in, in counseling on friends and encouraging someone to get up and get out there and get to work. That is difficult, but I'm telling you, that's what has to happen when we find ourselves in a state of depression. We have to find, if we have the ability, find the ability to reach down deep or someone to have the courage to reach down deep within us and help us to have the ability or find the ability to get up and get back out there. And that's always God's answer. And so, God provides with that answer Provision, relief, security, understanding, preparation, everything that we need. That's something I I cannot offer to anyone, and and no one else can offer that to me. And that's what makes it difficult as humans, right? As humans, we can't offer that to them. We we can say the words, but, but those are just words. We have to depend on God to give us that relief and that provision and that preparation, all the things that we need to get up and be able to get out there. I want to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. And again, if you're dealing with clinical depression, it's even that much, I mean, it's a whole different situation. Right? It's much more uh, difficult and, and certainly um, medications are necessary. But here in this, in this particular case with Elijah, God says, Elijah, 
There is more work that you have to do. But not before God does what God does. And that's something that we don't have the ability to do. I don't even think about these kinds of things because I'm just human. God gives relief. And God truly, truly understands. And God not only gives relief and truly, truly understands, but God prepares us for our next journey. Whatever that next journey might be, wherever it may be that we're going, God knows how long it's going to take take to get there, how much rest we need. God knows everything about that journey. And that's where as humans we have to step backwards and say, I know nothing about that journey. And so all that we can do is try to point people to God to the very best of our abilities. So 1 Kings 19 and verse, verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, there's something important I want you to get out of this text. Notice that when Elijah says to God in, in verse 4, to, um, to take my life, and God's answer is no. Notice what Elijah does. He does what we do when we're depressed. He goes to sleep. Because <laughs> right? it's so it's so vexing, it's so... Uh, it, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's, there's a heavy weight on your shoulders and your mind and your brain just, and you just have to sleep. And, and maybe you have control over that. Maybe, maybe not, but most do not. It's so difficult that you just go to sleep. So the angel comes down, wakes him up. Now Elijah had something else. He had, he had the, maybe God gave him the, desire to eat. But the other thing is, when you're in that state of mind, you really don't want to eat either. You don't want to do anything but sleep. But God intervened, and he prepared a meal. And notice what happens after he eats. He goes back to sleep <laughs> because it's so, so, much, it's so difficult. It's, uh, it's trying. And what a trying time. It shows you he was in a very deeply uh, depressed state of mind, and he goes right back to sleep. But God gave him enough provision enough relief, enough security, and had the understanding uh, and preparation that God gave him enough enough to eat, and whatever it was in that that he ate, that gave him enough strength to make his journey. Because where Elijah was going, he had no clue. That's why we always say, don't make big decisions. You know, when you're in a depressed state of mind, just do not make big decisions. Make very, very small decisions. Um... Maybe talk to someone even about that small decision, but try to stay away from decision-making in that state of mind. Elijah was running and didn't even, he wasn't prepared. He was just going to run. Where were you going, Elijah? Elijah was going to a cave or to the mountain, but God said, you'll never make it. But Elijah wasn't thinking clear-headedly because he was in a depressed state of mind, right? And so God, through all of his blessings, helped Elijah every step of the way through this uh, situation, this trying and vexing Moment, and so uh, we find that uh, trusting in God is is obviously the answer. But it is very difficult to begin trusting in God if it's 
not something that we're commonly used to doing before the trials and tribulations come our way. So, a great reality of life is that things aren't always the way they they seem. In other words, fear, which fear is not sin. Um, it's a reality of life. Like depression. Depression is not is not a sin. It is it is a part of, of life. And some struggle with it more than others. But all of us get to that point at some point in our lives through the, the tragedy, the tragic events or tragedy that happens in our lives. Now, to trust God. This is this is where um, the rubber hits the road. To trust God. Now, does it mean because I'm afraid I'm not trusting God? No, it doesn't mean that. Or maybe because I'm depressed I'm not trusting God? No, it just means I'm going through a very difficult time and I'm handling it the best that I possibly can. But I, I need something from God. Like Elijah needed something from God. Like Moses needed something from God. Like Paul needed something. I mean, the list goes on and on and on throughout the scriptures. They needed whatever it was from God to help them to make it to the next step. And what's, what's wonderful is through all the tragedy in our lives, we can all talk about things that have happened. We'll cry on each other's shoulders. Um, but look, we're still here today. Because God brought us through it, right? He brought us through it, however he did it, whatever he did, or whomever he sent, he brought us through it, and he brought us to today, and thank God for that. But it's just, it's that simple, trusting faith, right? Sometimes it's easier said than done. But the way to develop simple, trusting faith is to work on it in good times. In other words, um, as you uh, dig in the scriptures, and maybe you might um, decide that you want to look at the Bible, and, and regardless of what chapter you turn to, but it, it'd be good if you do a, a regimented study. Use the word like um, redemption, or um, a word like reconciliation, maybe not reconciliation, but redemption is one. Uh, you can look through the scriptures and look at how many times God uh, stepped in to redeem his people. Or uh, when they were being uh, bullied or oppressed and they prayed to God, look at how God comes in and helps the oppressed, those who are struggling. And then think about that that pattern you'll find throughout the Bible over and over again where God steps in and redeems or provides or protects or rescues uh, his people. And then allow that to grow your faith, right? Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Allow it to grow your faith, and um, and as you trust it, you'll you'll find you'll trust it more and more and more. And then as you grow and grow and grow, you'll find you'll trust it even more. So Proverbs chapter three, the wisdom literature uh, gives us great understanding. Verse five: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And so notice what's happening. So on my part, it's not up to me. I don't have to go figure things out. You know, I have to figure some things out, but I just trust in the Lord, give it to God. And notice the text says, acknowledge God, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and then he will make your path straight. And I don't have to make the path straight. God will make the path straight. But I have to first step back. Trust in the Lord. So that's that's something we got to practice. Learning how to trust in God. To give 
our mind, our body, our souls, to give it all over to God, to trust Him, and and to not lean on my own understanding. Where you know it's easier to do that. It's easier to lean on my own understanding. And well, you know, here's the way I see it. Well, okay, I'd rather see it the way God wants me to see it, and then to to acknowledge Him. You know, acknowledge Him, dear God. I think I have it under control, but okay, I really don't. You're God, I'm not. Please, Lord, help my unbelief. Bless me to be able to put this into your hands so that you can take over in my life. Please take over my life. And then watch God make your paths straight. God is the worker, and we'll say miracle worker. God is the one who opens doors where there are no doors. He presents doors where doors do not exist. He he is the one who who makes things happen in our lives, but we have to allow him to be our shepherd. We said that last week. Allow God to be your shepherd in good times as well as in bad times, right? But it's easier to do it in good times, so we practice. Uh, Hebrews tells us that we, uh, chapter 5, that we learn to discern good and evil through practice, right? And so practice giving things over to God. And you may start with little things. Give God little things first. If you, you know, and then as you grow, give Him bit larger things in your life. But you have to practice it. We don't just fall into faith. We don't stumble into faith. You have to practice your faith. Right? Practice our faith as well as practice giving things over to the Lord. So, what does He do? Psalm 23 again, please. And, uh, the verse is verse 4, uh, through verse 6. And then we'll close our Psalm uh, 23 out. Think about what he's being, what is being said. Even though I walk through, I'm sorry, I'm going to verse 5. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, provision. Well, first of all, Elijah was fleeing for his life, and what did God do? In essence, he prepared a table. He said, here, here's some food. Eat it. Food in a very difficult, depressing, and trying moment. He said, here, Elijah, here's food. Eat. Let's him go back to sleep. Wakes him up again. Here, here's food. Eat. In other words, there's sustenance, right, for us. But here is provision. God's provision in his providential or loving care. Providence is important because providence is a, it's a provable, non-provable truth. <laughs> kind of weird. I don't know how else to say it. Um, it it's one of those things where, where when you think about life, you say, well, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God patterned my life in such a way to where here I am today. And, and you say, well, how do you, can you prove that? And I go, well, you know, well, this happened and then, and then that happened and then, and then, and then this happened and, and then someone else might come along and say, well, how do you know it wasn't just chance or, well, you know, whatever people say. And so you have no, no concrete evidence, but you, in your mind, you, you start putting all the evidence in front of you and say, it had to be God. It couldn't be anything else or anyone else. And so, um, in my mind, I believe by faith, without a shadow of a doubt, that this is why I am where I am. This is where God wants me to be. This is how I got to be who I am and how I got to be 
where I am because of God's providence. So God has providential care for his people. He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Um, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to think about that with the idea of God sending Jesus as a propitiation. Okay. God's eternal plan. Um, first John chapter, um, chapter two. God's eternal plan. When God made us, here's what God knew. He'd have to die for us. He knew that in the beginning. He knew that before the beginning. He knew that from the days of eternity, that if you're going to make man, you're going to have to die for them because there's no way they can save themselves because man is going to give in to sin. So God, through his loving, providential care, uh, has a plan, and his plan was Jesus Christ. First John 2, verses 1 and verse 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so if anyone sins, well, obviously, right, we find ourselves sinning. But Jesus is the providential care, if you will, that God put into place for the whole world. He made a way to save us. He made a way where there was absolutely no way for us. He made a way. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so God's providential plan extends beyond the physical flesh. It goes into the eternity, right? It goes into the heavenlies for his people. So God has already done everything and laid out the road map. And all we have to do is trust him and allow him to put us on that track or keep us on that roadway and carry us all the way home to heaven. And it's not something that I'm going to always be good at, like Elijah. Uh, here, and we look at that text and say, well, there's no reason why Elijah should have been depressed. But we're not Elijah, so we couldn't say that, could we? This is where that empathetic mindset comes as a child of God, where I don't have to understand the reason that you are in the situation that you are in. I just need to have empathy and pray for you, have compassion, and do all that I can to help you out of it, right? And all the times we want to oftentimes explain to people, well, here's what I'm, and I'm struggling with this because, and, and maybe some, maybe the other person doesn't understand. And that's why it's, there's that feeling of, I want to be alone because no one understands. Well, on the other side, if I am feeling depressed, um, what I have to try, this is tough, to try not to do is block everybody out because no one understands. That's not necessarily true. God always understands. So we have to give it to God. And even though another ch- a child of God may not understand, they too can pray to the God who does understand, right? So we're asking for prayers, for God's provision, not necessarily for uh, the provision provided by another human. But God will open the door and bring something into our lives that will 
wake us up or shake us up or whatever is necessary to give us the energy and the strength to make it another day, right? To go on, to get up, to move forward with the Lord because activity is very important when it comes to um, being in a depressed state of mind. Just trying to get up and do something. Go for a walk, do something. You have to try. And it, it, it really uh, it takes a lot of effort uh, to do that. I want to look at Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. There are 12 verses in uh, Psalm 30. And I would like to, um, I want to think about Psalm 30 in a way that uh, is is impactful uh, in that David is writing about times in which uh, he has struggled. And in, in the writing about this, he's giving God thanksgiving, thanksgiving for his deliverance from death. Well, you know, David was a warrior and a king, and so, uh, you know, he faced the possibility of death on a regular and a continual basis, and he faced, because being in, of being in war, he faced uh, uh, death, you know, uh, all the time. But what he does in Psalm 30 is he gives uh, thanks to God who delivered him from these difficult times. And so uh, this... Um, will be up on the screen, and then I, I may pause here and there, and the verse will stay there, and uh, I'll talk about it for just, just a moment. Uh, so beginning at verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Oh, excuse me, wrong place. That's Psalm 29. Another good one, <laughs> but we're in chapter 30, sorry. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and thou uh, hast not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to thee for help, and thou didst heal me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from Sheol. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. So you see, he was crying for help. Dear God, rescue me. And God did. God rescued him out, as he says, out of the pit. God was there for him, and God was committed to David through his suffering. So for that reason, verse 4, he says, saying praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Whippy may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And what a great thing, right? It is true that my day today, when I think about my day today, and when someone says, how was your day? I can either uh, take one moment of my day that maybe lasted for an hour or, or maybe it lasted for three hours and say, oh, I had a horrible day and, and discount the rest of the good in my day. Or I can say, you know, I had a pretty good day up until the point where X, Y, Z happened and then I began to really pray to God for help. Usually the whole day is not a horrible day if we can find the ability to separate out or to trust in the Lord and find that happiness and that joy in our lives. David says that God was angry, but his anger doesn't last uh, forever. It's just for a moment. Uh, but his the joy that you get, the favor that we get from serving God is for a lifetime. And so think about that for just a moment. If you're living in the world today and you're not a Christian, well, God's angry because God wants everyone to become Christians and he doesn't want us to live in sin. And it's our sin that is before us that God sees. And when God sees our sins, there's the separation. 
It's not that God cannot hear. It's not that God cannot save. It's the sin in our lives that separates us from God. And so uh, God's anger could be removed because Jesus is the propitiation by surrendering to God in the waters of baptism, by giving your life to him, or if you will, if you're already a Christian, by repenting of the sin that you may have in your life. And we find that in life, weeping can last an entire night, but in the morning, praise God, when you spend your time in prayer to God, God brings joy. There's something something about the next day. There's something about this new, renewed, and restored hope that brings a blessing in your life that um, you never thought would be there. But for some strange reason, the world might say, and I'll say because of God, God brings joy to his children in the morning. Gives us the energy and the ability to work things out. And that goes into the subconscious mind and God working uh, uh, with us throughout uh, throughout the night. Verse 6. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face. I was dismayed. To thee, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit while the dust, will the dust praise thee? Will it declare thy faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord. Be thou my helper. Thou hast turned me, turned me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to thee. And not be silent, O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. All right, so one of the things that we know in the psalm that we can learn through psalms and other passages in the scriptures is, and I've said this maybe a few lessons ago, is to count our blessings. To, to You know, if you make a chart of all the things that God has done for you and find a moment to just thank God. Just if you think about a prayer, if you uh, spend time in prayer and say, at, at this moment, my prayer, this this hour, will not be a supplication. I'm not going to ask God for anything in this prayer. I'm going to spend this whole prayer time, whatever the time might be, giving thanks. And that's it. I'm just going to start thanking God for everything that I can think of throughout my, my, whether it be my lifetime or just today, I'm going to spend just this moment, this hour of prayer, just giving God thanks and nothing else. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever thought about that? It's really good for God's people to give God thanks, but what if you spent the entire prayer only giving God thanks and never asking God for a thing? Watch how difficult it is. It's difficult because Though, though we don't like to claim it, you know, we're selfish. <laughs> we always want something, um, from God. Um, and, but to spend time not asking God for anything, but just giving God thanks for everything. And not generically saying thank you for everything. It's specific, being very specific in your prayer and thanking God for everything you can think of. Uh, in, in, you know, dealing with your anatomy, dealing with, uh, the, the air that we breathe, dealing with, uh, uh, the God rescuing you through the day, whatever has gone on in your day, getting into your vehicle and being able to drive safely from point A to point B, 
you know, no airplane fell on the house. I mean, you know, whatever it is, whatever you can think of, everything in your day that you can think of, spend time just thanking God. And let that be one of the prayers that you echo throughout your day without negating the other prayers you normally say. Right? So, so the, however many times you pray in the day, continue to do that. But then add in there one prayer where you just thank God. Just thank you, God, and just, and go, and, and try not to be generic. Try to be very specific. And so David says, and you read, as you read the Psalms, that, uh, verse 12, uh, that my soul may sing praise to thee and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give, I will give thanks to thee forever. So, spending time in prayer, thanking God for how wonderful God is and for everything that he's done in your life. And you know, we could say amen, 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 and that's true, but wow, how powerful and impactful it will be in your life when you spend time and you just, and you just thank him. And it will become easier, but I think, I know the first time I tried it, it was kind of, it was difficult. Um, n- not because um, I didn't pray to God, it was just, I'm selfish. <laughs> I don't want to admit it, but I mean, it's true. You know, I'm, thank you God for this and for that and for this. And I can't wait to get to the point where I start saying, oh, and um, God, please forgive me for my sins. You know, when I did this and, right? <laughs> don't know. That's not the time for that prayer. Um, I, but, I, but I want that one in the, yeah, I know, but that's another prayer, right? That's your regular prayer. But this prayer is, maybe you ought to do the other prayer first <laughs> and, and then come to this prayer. But this is a prayer of praise and thanksgiving, nothing else. It's a wonderful, a wonderful experience uh, to participate in uh, with the Lord. Okay, Psalm um, 57, and that will end our study uh, today and this section of our life enrichment class and take us into the next one, Lord willing, next week. Psalm 57, beginning at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in thee, and in the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. So David says, I will take comfort in the shadow or refuge in the shadow of God's wing. And God always saves me. God always rescues me. Whether it be from an individual or from a situation, it is always God who rescues me. So in that prayer of thanksgiving, we might say, God, thank you for rescuing me from, from this situation. Or, or thank you for stopping my mouth so that I wouldn't say the thing that I was thinking. And then, oh, I'm sorry I even thought that, right? Thank you for letting me recognize that I even thought something I shouldn't have thought. Thank you, God, for saving me. It is very important that we take refuge in the wings or in the love and the care and the protection of our God. That will help our lives to be more focused and will help us to battle better the difficulty of uh, negative thinking, negative energy, 
uh, depression. It, it may not, maybe it won't, again, this is a big thing. You gotta really work on it to try to, to get through it, but, uh, you just gotta do something about it. And the thing is, is again, do something, whatever you can. And now all of us can do the same thing, but do whatever you can in the state that you are in and continue to try until you can do better as time goes on. Thank you for your time uh, tonight. We will close here, and um, uh, God bless you, and I hope that something uh, was said will help in some way or another. Thank you.